Did you know that you might be sinning by the way you fight temptations to sin? Did you know that by pursuing obedience, you may actually be disobedient by the way you are pursuing that obedience? It's, it's absolutely true. There is a way of overcoming sin that does not please God, that doesn't make God look glorious, and that does not bring you, Christian, any true lasting joy. In fact, it will lead to frustration and pain. Let me explain this uh, to you. On the one hand, Jesus and all the Bible makes it very plain that, that we must be about killing, mortifying sin in our lives and pursuing holiness, that this is what a true Christian does. Just a quick scan through uh, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, which is where the Lord's Prayer is found, shows us verses like this. Matthew 5, 20, Jesus says, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, the religious elites, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 5, 29, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members, body parts, than that your whole body be thrown into hell. Matthew 5, 48, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. I mean, there are many more just in the Sermon on the Mount of these, these statements that say, hey, a true Christian will fight against sin. They will pursue holiness and they will even achieve a measure of holiness in this life. But on the other hand, there is a way that we can go uh, about ridding sin from our life that is actually sinful. I would summarize this sinful way of sin killing as self-empowered, self-dependent. You think about that. We get saved, right? And then we, we truly do. We see, we see our, our need and we trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins and for our, our, our righteousness before God. But then, you know, we start going to church and, and we, we start hearing these verses that tell us, thou shall not and thou shall do this. And then we start looking around at the other believers and they seem to have it all together. They seem to be obeying. And so we say, okay, I'm just gonna do it. And so we, we pull ourselves up by our bootstraps as it were. We grit our teeth and say, I'm not going to do that sin anymore. I'm not going to do that sin anymore. This self-empowered sin killing. Now, this method ha has the appearance of godliness, right? Like things are becoming, I'm becoming more moral, more outwardly moral, but it is actually sinful, Here's, here's the reason why, there's, there's multiple reasons, but I just wanna to explain to you uh, what's going on here when we fight sin on our own power. When we fight sin on our own power, number one, 
we're taking the credit, but number two, we're not actually extinguishing the sin, we're simply exchanging the sin. This happens in a couple of ways. It may be that we uh, simply exchange one sinful habit for another. We might say, I gave up, you know, lust, but now we have this, some new like substance that we're uh, addicted to, to kind of fill that gap. Sometimes that happens, but more often we exchange our, our outward sin for the inward sin of pride. Right? We say, I did that. I stopped doing that thing. I was able to, to discipline myself and make that happen. And we start to think, wow, I'm, I'm a pretty godly person. God is lucky to have me on his team. But that continues, by the way, the sin of pride then leads to the sins of judge, judgmentalism, condemnation, and lovelessness, gracelessness towards others. We say, well, I killed the sin in my life. Why don't they do it? Hey, you need to get your act together like I got my act together. Woo, that's not a church I wanna be a part of, but I've been there. I've done it. I've seen the, the, the holiness, the seeming holiness that I've accomplished in my life. And I look at others down my nose and scoff, ha, they just can't get it together. And then I'm prone to treat them with a lack of compassion and mercy and grace, even though I have been shown so much. Therefore, we are not actually extinguishing sin in our life. We are simply exchanging it one for another. It does not work and God is not glorified in this. It's not pleasing to God. By the way, you think about the Lord's prayer. This is, this is very important. Uh, the Lord's prayer, our father, if you're truly a Christian, you desire to please your father. He's a perfect father. You, 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 if you're a Christian, you want to please him. He's in heaven. He is supreme. Hallowed be your name. A true Christian wants to live for God's glory, wants to see God as most glorious and show God as most glorious. And we could go on and on through this. Forgive us our debts. God, I've been forgiven so much. No one wants to be forgiven this unpayable by ourselves, unpayable debt, only to say, well, now I'm gonna continue in sin. But that's what killing sin by our own power does. Instead of extinguishing sin, it exchanges sin. And it doesn't work. It leads to frustration. I'm telling you, the, the, per, the judgmental, condemning person, while they seem to have it all together, they are miserable inside. This bitterness is just eating them away. And so this is not a good thing. And God is certainly not glorified uh, by this sort of thing. So how then are we to fight sin? Because we must, we must fight sin. How are we to do it in a way that isn't self-dependent, self-empowered, self-reliant? 
This is where Jesus comes in. We see in the Lord's prayer, he says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That's what we're gonna study today. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I've read, you know, a bunch of commentaries on this and people say, you know, it's so confusing why Jesus would would tell us to pray, lead us not into temptation because God doesn't tempt us. James makes it clear, God tempts no one and he himself is not tempted. So why would we pray this? Well, this is the heart cry of the believer who truly has God as their father, who truly wants God's name to be hallowed, who truly has been forgiven their debt. They're saying, God, don't lead me into temptation. God, I don't want to sin against you. God, deliver me from the evil one because I I want to honor your name. I I want to have my, my heart be morally pure. I don't want my my view of you, my experience of you hindered by sin. And so Jesus teaches us not to put sin to death on our own, not to fight for holiness on our own, but to come to God like a child and say, Father, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. And so I, I would summarize that as that their number one in your notes Fight sin by God's power. If you fight sin by your power, if I fight sin by my power, I will not win. I won't have victory over sin. I will just be exchanging sin. I'll be dishonoring God. I won't be pleasing him. I won't find my joy in him. So Jesus taught us to pray, lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is a beautiful idea that you can trace all through scripture. I mean, I'm telling you all through, I've got a few things written here, but I'll just tell you from Genesis to Revelation, God makes sure that we know it's his power, not our power. All the way through, God makes, makes it very plain. It's his salvation, not our salvation. Let me just give you a few examples. Uh, God promised Abraham, hey, there will be a savior who comes through you. you. Through your family, through you, all the nations, all the families will be blessed. But then what does God do? Abraham and Sarah, his wife, don't have a child and they remain barren and barren and barren all, all the way up until they're way past childbearing years um, by, by the normal way of things. And this drives Abraham crazy, by the way, if you read Genesis and they, they uh, struggle a lot through that time. But then when Abraham is a hundred years old and Sarah is 90 years old, boom, pregnant, boom, Isaac is born. Then I would say, by the way, Isaac doesn't even have, uh, anyways, we'll, we'll, we'll stop there on, on Abraham. God made sure that it was known. This isn't because of Abraham's power. This is because it's mine. I think about uh, freedom from slavery in Egypt. The next book I wanna preach through is is the book of uh, Exodus. And when you read the first chapters of Exodus, do, do we come away saying, 
Wow, look at how Israel freed themselves. Wow, look at what Moses did to get them out of there. No, you see a guy who evidently is tongue-tied. You know, he's, I'm not, doesn't have a good speech. He is refusing to even go do this. He finally sheepishly goes after God, you know, pushes him to Egypt basically. And then what is it that God uses to free uh, Israel? You have these plagues, plague after plague after plague, miracle after miracle after miracle that shows it is God's power. And then finally, when Pharaoh lets the people go, God allows them to be trapped between the Red Sea and the Egyptian army. Does God have the Israelites turn and fight the Egyptian army? No, God has them wait. And throughout the night, a wind blows and separates the waters and they walk across on dry land. And then as the Egyptians pursue them, the water comes crashing, crushing down. God made sure in the book of Exodus, we knew it was his power, his salvation. You go along even further. I mean, throughout their time of wilderness wanderings, they aren't, you know, growing their own food. God is sending manna every day for them to be able to eat. God is giving them miraculous water as they're out in the desert wilderness. Finally, after 40 years, they come to the promised land. Does anyone remember the first city they conquer? Anyone? Jericho. Now, if you've grown up in the church, you know what happened at the battle of Jericho. And it wasn't Israel's strength, was it? (laughs) They hike. They go for a stroll around the city for seven days. This is what God tells them to do. Take the army and walk around the city. Then on the seventh day, do it seven times and then blow your trumpets and yell. And what happened? And the walls came tumbling down. No one said, wow, look at Israel. Look at what they've done. It is very clear that the power, the salvation comes from God. And now you turn to the New Testament We turn to the New Testament and we think about our salvation, that initial time of salvation. Do we say, yes, I saved myself. I didn't die on a cross for my sins. Even if I died on a cross, I couldn't have bore the wrath that I deserve. Christ Jesus accomplished our salvation. Christ Jesus uh, died, bore our sins, rose from the dead. God accomplished that. And then the Bible makes it, it very plain Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for it is by grace. Grace is a free gift. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one may boast. Your salvation is not owing to you, my friends. It is the power of God. It is the salvation of God, both in accomplishing it and in applying it in your life. And so this is the scriptural pattern and we come to sanctification. Sanctification is, is, is a moral holiness, abstaining from sin and doing the right thing. And are we to imagine at this point that God, who is eager to show his power and his salvation says, now you guys do this one on your own. You guys take the credit for this one. No. That, that's, that's ludicrous. That is not the scriptural pattern. What we see uh, in scripture is things like this. Romans eight thirteen probably says it best. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. 
But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh, you will live. The key words here is not just that you put sin to death as though, well, if I, if I want to live, if I want to have final salvation, I've got to put my sin to death. If by the Spirit, that's the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And what happens when we do that is God gets the credit. It is God who accomplishes this holiness, this abstinence from sin, this righteous living. It's God who accomplishes it and it's God who gets the credit. By the way, we don't get the the short end of the stick. We get the holiness. We get the joy. We get to be the ones who display the glory of God, not our own weak (laughs) glory. If you have been fighting sin on your own power, number one, you're probably very frustrated, but number two, you haven't been giving God the glory he deserves. You haven't been showing God the glory the world needs to see, and you have not been finding your joy in him the way that you should. So this is what Jesus is teaching us to do when we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. God, I don't have the power. That's what we're saying when we pray. By the way, I don't pray for things that I can do on my own. I don't, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't pray, God, please help me to walk down the aisle. Although with the knee surgery, maybe I should. But I mean, I pray for the things I cannot do. And Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. He's talking about anything of spiritual benefit. Anything truly good and beautiful and God honoring, I cannot do on my own. And so that's what this prayer is. It's acknowledging our weakness and God's infinite strength, his power to make us holy. And the end result of any true holiness should be praise to God and thanks to God, not pride. I think that's a good litmus test, by the way, if you are doing things by your own power, if you've extinguished sin or if you've just exchanged one sin for the other is, do I feel proud about this? Do I, uh, you know, try, try to show everyone else <clears throat> the sins that I've kept from and the, the righteousness that I'm doing? Do I now look down on others who still struggle with those sins? I, I think that's a good litmus test because if you do, You're not seeing it as God's gracious power in your life. And that's what we need. That's what we need if we're going to please our father, if we're going to live for his kingdom. This is God's power, not ours, that brings true holiness. Now, the question is, well, how do I do that? (laughs) Because I'm, okay, so I just, I don't fight. No, no, you will fight but you will fight by the spirit. Okay, well, what does that mean? Well, let's work through it. I'll give you just kind of a heading here. Fight sin by God's provision. The fact is in the Bible and even right here in the Lord's prayer, God shows the ways that he has provided for us to put sin to death by the spirit. I wanna, I wanna tell you this. These are not hidden ways. These are not mysterious ways that God's hiding in the Bible that we've got to figure out, man, how could I possibly put sin to death by by the spirit? These are ways that are 
all through the Bible, over and over, we are told to do these things and the power of God will be unleashed in our lives. This is the means, the methods God has provided for our holiness to kill sin. The first way is this, fight by prayer. You say, well, where do you see that? Pray then like this, Jesus said. (laughs) Pray then like this, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I mean, literally the passage we are studying right now is Jesus saying, this is the way you guys need to pray. If you, if you want to be fighting sin, if you want to have true holiness rather than fake exchanging of, of sin, you know, you, you got to pray like this. God, lead me not into temptation. I am weak. I need you to deliver me from the evil one. We fight by prayer. It's interesting, um, just before Jesus was, um, what do you say, uh, arrested, in the garden, uh, he, he, was, he was praying and he told his disciples this, Matthew 26, 41, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. That is that you may not give into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He says, you guys are weak. You need to to fight this temptation by the power of God. Therefore, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. This may not be the bad example or the best example because do you remember what the disciples did? Did they call a big prayer meeting, big prayer vigil? They fell asleep over and over. They fell asleep. And then what happened uh, when, when the guards came? Peter had a flash of boldness there, uh, cut off the guy's ear. But after that, they all fled from their savior and hid. Peter denies Jesus, explicitly denies even knowing Jesus three times before the rooster even crows. That is before morning even comes, he denies Jesus three times. They did not pray. And they entered into temptation. It's it's hard to think about these things, but I wonder if things would have been different had they they stayed up and and prayed. If they had pleaded with God, God, my spirit is willing. I I want to stick with Jesus. I I want to confess Jesus. I want to, 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 you know, not, not run away but I'm weak. My flesh is weak. God, I need your power. I wonder what would have happened if they'd have stayed up and prayed. But more than I wonder what would have happened in their lives, because that's, you know, it's Bible, it's done. I wonder how different things would be in my life. I wonder how different things would be in your life. I wonder how many less hurtful, hateful words would come out of my mouth if I would pray, God, I know that this person or this situation irritates me. Will you lead me out of that temptation? Would you deliver me from, from the snare of the evil one here that he wants to use me to, to be an agent of, of sin rather than righteousness? I wonder how many times I would have done all sorts of things differently 
things that I deeply, deeply regret, things that have caused heartache in my life, things that have kept me from glorifying God, things that have kept me from experiencing God. I wonder how things would have been different and will be different in my life when I come to him. Father, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. So I think we need to do this. By the way, I recommend doing this every day because temptation is coming every day. Every hour, every minute, we pray to God. But prayer alone will not be enough. We need to fight by scripture. I'm only gonna have three things, by the way, three practical provisions God has given us. I believe these are the main explicit provisions that he has given us to put sin to death by the spirit. Now, we're studying the Lord's prayer, but we are studying it in scripture. (laughs) Jesus had these words recorded by the work of the Holy Spirit, that they might speak to us today, that they might be a part of us resisting temptation and living to righteousness. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. But then you see uh, in Ephesians there, the, the bottom one on the screen, Ephesians 6, verses 10 and 11. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. It kind of sounds like God's power, doesn't it? Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, but deliver us from the evil one. Verse 17, and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. It's interesting that within the, the armor listed, you have things like helmet, shield, shoes, uh, belt. The only uh, active uh, killing tool is the sword in, in the armor listed there in uh, Ephesians 6. And that sword that is meant to be used for killing sin is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So in order to put sin to death by the spirit, I take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. This is so important. We are in a battle. We're in a battle against our own flesh. We're in a battle against this world that that tempts us. We're in a battle against Satan, his lies, his deceit, his snares. And so many times we go into the battle of our day without our sword. Or a very dull one if we do. We have nothing to lop off the head of temptation when it it comes into our hearts. And so we often are defeated. But we know that that one of the ways God leads us not into temptation, one of the ways God delivers us from the evil one is by the power of scripture. Scripture sanctifies us in the truth. It it makes us holy through the truth. Uh, By the way, John 17, 17, Jesus prays, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And the idea there is, 
in God's word and in God's word alone do we see the clear truth of God, the clear truth of who we are, the clear truth of sin, the clear truth of what Christ Jesus has done in salvation, the clear truth of what God desires for us to do and not to do. We need the truth because the world is lying to us, Satan is lying to us, and I'm lying to me. I'm making excuses. The only thing that can pierce through my excuses is the word of God, the truth. In addition, the Bible gives us, I don't know, I mean, hundreds of promises we can cling to. You say, well, why do we need promises when it comes to temptation? Well, the reason is this. Anytime we are tempted, we make a decision. I'm either going to pursue the pleasure of sin or I'm going to pursue the pleasure of God. And what we need when we come up to temptation, when temptation rears its ugly head to us, is we need to see that the promises of God are greater than the promises of sin or any pleasures sin might bring us. Again, within uh, the Sermon on the Mount where the Lord's Prayer is found, we see, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. I don't know if I have that or not. Nope. Oh, that was for prayer. Oops. Oh, we're, anyway. 5.8. Again, these are the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And so as we study scripture, we're seeing the glory of God and we're seeing the promises of God and, and they will outweigh the pleasures of temptation when we make those decisions. And so that's how we take up that story. We say, no, I want to see God. I want to be satisfied. Therefore, I will pursue righteousness. I will pursue purity. The word of God and the word of God alone gives us the promises of God. It preaches them to our hearts. And there are many other ways scripture does this. I think of um, all the... Uh, explanations, instructions of how to overcome temptation, flee the youthful lusts. Uh, Paul says to Timothy, flee temptation, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Make no provision for the flesh, which I take to mean put up guardrails in your life that don't let you flirt with sin. I'll just give you one great example the Bible gives us. I just wanna, this is how the Bible works and should impact us as we see Joseph in Genesis 39. He's got Potiphar's wife. He's working there as a slave. Potiphar's wife is trying to seduce him. Now, making provision for the flesh would have been to say, mm, I'll just see if I can resist this. I, I bet I can. No, no, he, he, didn't, he didn't just see. Making provision for the flesh would say, you know, it kind of feels nice when she's flirting with me. I'm not gonna actually go through with it, but I'm just gonna let her keep flirting with me. Does he do that? No, he literally runs out of there with his robe pulled off him because she grabbed a hold of it. This is how we are supposed to be with, with sin. We are to flee sin. And we're supposed to, to have this, this mental image in our minds of Joseph 
saying, no, I'm not going to make provision for my flesh. I am too weak to stand here and try to fight this. I'm too weak to just try to taste a little but not eat the whole thing. We flee temptation. And we see these stories in the Bible, all through the Bible. And it helps us to fight sin. It is a, a sword of the Spirit to defeat temptation. Prayer combined with God's word is how we fight sin. But there is one more way, one more essential way that the Bible gives us. Fight by community. You say, well, where do you see that in the Lord's prayer? I put it up there one more time. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. The Lord's prayer is communal, beginning to end. Our Father, right? Fighting sin is not to be a a solo affair. Yes, you will personally have to fight sin. Yes, you will need to personally go to God for his grace, but we are not meant to fight alone. Jesus gives us this picture of we're here fighting against sin. We're here trying to follow God's perfect leadership, but we are surrounded with with fellow citizens, fellow fighters of sin. I mean, we we should have that, that image in our mind of I've got to fight temptation, but I've got all these people with me. I should be able to look at you and say, I struggle with temptation. I have, you know, sins that, that keep killing me and I'm trying to fight him, but I'm weak. But then I could, should look up and say, but these are the people fighting with me. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. James says in uh, chapter five, verse 16 of his epistle, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. That doesn't sound like doing it alone. That sounds like, you know, being, being in the middle of, of a fight or in the middle of a war and saying, hey, I've run out of ammunition. <laughs> Can you give me some? We confess our sins. We say, hey, this, this is where I struggle. Can you pray for me? And if you've got a community that's, that's living the way God uh, intended, the other person will say, man, I need God's mercy too. And so I'm gonna pray for you and pray that God will grant you the same grace he's giving me every day. And we we pray for one another and the the prayer of a righteous man is powerful as it's working. It's actually the second half of the verse that I didn't put. So sometimes we confess the sins we know about to one another and that is good, that is healthy. As long as we're seeking to, to be rid of it. But let me ask you this. Can any of us recognize all the sins in our life? Can any of us see our blind spots? <laughs> they wouldn't call it a blind spot if you can see it. That's the whole idea is that you have areas and I have areas of my life that I don't see that I'm messing up. And so God gives us, this is his gracious gift to us, community to humbly, lovingly, kindly say, hey, I see this in your life and it's not consistent with God's word. Listen to Hebrews 3, verses 12 to 13. It says, take care, brothers, 
lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So the idea here is there's a person who they, they have this lie of, hey, this is okay. This isn't that big of a deal. Sin is lying to them. And so their heart is being hardened because of that. And it is leading them. It is leading me to fall away from the living God. And so we all need one another to exhort each other every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Again, we've probably all seen this done badly. We've maybe done it badly where we tell people about their sins in an arrogant, unkind, unloving way, but that is not God's way. We do this knowing that we too are sinners saved only by grace, sanctified only by grace, and that we are agents, tools of God to be grace in another person's life, to be power in another person's life, God's power. But I would say for us, that means we gotta come together and we gotta be, be letting ourselves be spoken into. But then oftentimes, this is majority of the time we actually have this. We simply encourage one another. Uh, look at Hebrews uh, 10 verses 24 and 25. It says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I, I, I get this picture, this stirring up to love and good works. And, and it's exciting to me because I've felt it so many times and I want to feel it, you know, now still, I want people to stir me up to love God, to love my neighbor, to love my fellow Christian, to love lost people and to stir me up to go and do, to act on that love for the glory of God. We stir up one another. We encourage one another. And then when we have these blind spots, these sins, we exhort one another. But typically we're just, we're encouraging one another. We're walking with one another. We're saying, come on, we can, we can keep doing this. By the way, I bet you don't know how often the, the other people in this room feel like giving up. Do you just say, you know what? The sin keeps beating me, whatever. You could be the power of God in that person's life by, by encouraging them. By, by the promises of God, by the glory of God to continue on. I think about these things and we, we again can say, well, look at me. I pray a lot. I read the Bible a lot. I, I'm at church every time the doors are open. Eh, you're missing it again. <laughs> by the spirit. This is God's power. It's God's, <clears throat> excuse me, God's grace in our lives. Look at how Paul put this. <clears throat> First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10, he says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. So he worked hard, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. If pride is the result 
you're still working by the flesh. If praising God, giving God the glory is the result, you're, you're working by the power of God. This is a good thing. So I beg you, just as I beg God to do it in my life, I beg you not to neglect the provision that God has given us to have the power God wants to put in us to defeat sin. That one didn't get changed. Oh, I know what it is. There it is. Are you spending time in prayer? Are you spending time studying, meditating on, memorizing the word of God, this sword of the spirit meant to kill sin? And are you putting yourself in community, a community of believers who will encourage you and are even willing to exhort you when they need to, that you're able to confess to and they can pray for you? Too many times I talk to people who are struggling They say, I don't know what's going on. Like this area of my life is just falling apart. I keep falling, excuse me. I keep falling back into this sin. And by the way, I've been here. And I, I simply say this, well, are you spending time with God? Are you spending time in prayer? Are you spending time in the word? And are you spending time in community? And usually they say, well, I'm trying. What does that mean? It means no, I am not. Friends, I know why I struggle sometimes. I know why you struggle sometimes because I am not tapping into the power of God. My God who loves me, saved me, my father, my king. I'm not tapping into his power by the things he has provided to put that power in and through my life. So again, I, I exhort you, I beg you to set aside entertainment, set aside distraction and fight sin by the spirit. Prayer, the word of God, community, it will not happen any other way. And that is why Jesus taught us to pray. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Let's pray. Father God, would you make your word effective in our hearts today? It is likely that everyone in this room knows they should be praying, knows they should be 